Welcome to Sunday Morning at First Presbyterian Church. I'm Pastor Danny Deeth, and it is hot in the summertime in Columbus, Georgia. Don't have to tell you that. I know y'all are out traveling, but no matter who you are, where you are, what you've done, whatever you have going on, God is welcoming you home. So we invite you to come and join us as we celebrate our awesome God of love and of grace and joy. Come on in. The first reading is from Psalm 22, verses 1 through 11. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from helping me from the words of my groaning? Oh my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer, and by night, but find no rest. Yet you are holy, enthroned on the praises of Israel. In you our ancestors trusted. They trusted, and you delivered them. To you they cried and were saved. In you they trusted and were not put to shame. But I am a worm and not human, scorned by others and despised by the people. All who see me mock at me. They make mouths at me. They shake their heads. Commit your cause to the Lord. Let him deliver. Let him rescue the one in whom he delights. Yet it was you who took me from the womb. You kept me safe on my mother's breast. On you I was cast from my birth. And since my mother bore me, you have been my God. Do not be far from me, for trouble is near, and there is no one to help. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Our second lesson is taken from 2 Corinthians 1, 3 through 7. 2 Corinthians 1, 3 through 7. Listen for the word of the Lord. Blessed be God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all consolation, who consoles us in our affliction so that we may be able to console those who are in any affliction with the consolation with which we ourselves are consoled by God. For just as the sufferings of Christ are abundant for us, so also our consolation is abundant through Christ. If we are being afflicted, it is for your consolation and salvation. If we are being consoled, it is for your consolation which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we are also suffering. Our hope for you is unshaken, for we know that as you share in our sufferings, so also will you share in our consolation. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? That should be familiar to us in some way, even if we can't quite pinpoint that. 
the beginning of the psalm that Charlotte well so read, read so well to you this morning begins in a horrible and terrible place. It is Christ who is on the cross. He has already been falsely accused, falsely arrested, beaten, is at the end of his earthly life as he has been in the process of crucifixion. And he cries out in the midst, in the worst moment of his life, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? To finish through that first and second verse, why are you so far from helping me? From the words of my groaning, oh my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer, and by night, but find no rest. Jesus doesn't say that, but that's the sentiment that goes through the first and second verse. Where are you? Why have you let this happen to me? Why am I suffering like this? And where are you? Today, this frames our question. We have started a, a Questions of Faith series several weeks ago, the first of which we ease into it with what is a Presbyterian? I know the answer pretty much to that question. And then the last two weeks, for other reasons, I wasn't here, so we didn't pursue that, but we're back in. Y'all have submitted questions that were very thoughtful and faithful. I could feel your struggle and tension in the questions, as well as your joy of seeking and learning. I can only get to so many in the time that we have allotted, both in the context of the sermon, but also in the summer. Your questions were so good, we're considering moving those questions over into a class in the fall. Because I, I, I can't just dismiss because you have been so thoughtful in your questions, and they are important. So today, we wanted to start with the big E. This question, to frame it another way, what is the role of God in evil and suffering? Uh-oh. That's one of the biggies. This question itself keeps people from faith. It is very easy to look around in the world and you say, how can a loving, all-powerful, all-knowing God allow the depth of despair and suffering and pain and agony and misery? How can God allow that in the world and still be who we say God is? Uh, go ahead and answer that. Turn to your neighbor and answer that question. Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a hard one. And, and let me also say, as I premise this, these are my thoughts as one pastor. You ask even another Presbyterian pastor, and we're going to deviate some, although I would think we would have some things in common. Because I say it, don't make it so. I hope like every Sunday, a sermon is not a speech. It's not the time that I get up and give my devotion or give you my research paper on a biblical passage. 
To me, a sermon every Sunday is you and myself and God's Holy Spirit in dialogue with each other. I hope in your mind every Sunday, you were saying, ah, oh, I got it, I got it. Yes, I get it. Oh no, he is way off. Or I didn't get that at all. What, was, where, what is he trying to say or do? I hope all of that dynamic is always going on. What I don't want you to do is sit there and be passive and just take it in. I want us to be engaged listeners for the sake of our souls, our lives, our transformation in the spirit within us. So as I take a stand on these questions which you have asked, please write down other questions or contact me during the week. If you want to text me questions, friends, you can do that at that same number where we text prayer concerns. If you get angry or you think I am way off, as always, I encourage you to send all angry texts and emails to me, Jimmy Elder, First Baptist Church. <laughs> but we are doing our best to struggle here together. It is not my role to give you the answer. It is my role to enter all of us in this conversation. Today, you, me, and God's Holy Spirit, and all those who have joined together as we seek to explore these questions. Some of these questions will have answers, and some won't, or some will have some portions we know, and then some we don't. So with that said... Let's jump on in. <clears throat> Excuse me. Uh, today I'm leaning heavy on a book that has been a core book in my library since I was in seminary. It is by the now deceased Professor Shirley Guthrie, which is a he, of a boy, boy named Sue kind of thing. He was a professor at Columbia Seminary, one of our Presbyterian seminaries in Decatur, Georgia and wrote what I see as a definitive book called Christian Doctrine. It is, a, wrote it for a Sunday school class for the old PCUS Covenant curriculum. Some of you will remember that. And does such a great job of relatively briefly addressing some of these big questions and issues that we as Presbyterians, that's in the Reformed, theology category, try to explore and figure out together. And his view is one view, as my view is one view, and yours is one view. But he does a great job, and so I'm leaning on some of this. So, before we get to the big, let's chip away at some of the smaller pieces that we know when we think and ask the question, what is God's role in sin, suffering, evil in the world? Does God cause this? If God is all-powerful but it's not God's will, then how does it happen if God is creator of all? Let's start first with human finitude. Human finitude. In the 1987 movie, The Untouchables, with Kevin Costner uh, playing a young green treasury agent, Elliot Ness, who has been tasked to break up the prohibition 
cartel of Al Capone in those days of prohibition. He relies on Sean Connery's character, who won uh, an Oscar for Best Supporting Actor for this. A great movie, not one for the kids. Sean Connery is the beat cop who has been a beat cop most of his life. He's near retirement. He has the wisdom. This is set in Chicago in what they portray as a corrupt Chicago in that time as Al Capone had a lot of the judicial and law enforcement community on his payroll. But Sean Connery is the mentor of this young group that Elliot Ness puts together to try to break up Al Capone's liquor ring, among other things. So this scene is set that they are on the U.S.-Canadian border, it is a beautiful field with a bridge that goes from Canada to the United States. They are waiting for a shipment of Canadian whiskey to come over the border and be received. They have the Canadian Mounties laying in wait, hiding, hidden, and then the four of them, this team, Elliot Ness, Sean Connery's character, and two others, are also there from the Americans to help quell this, this bringing in of, of the liquor. So they see the cars coming one by one. They give the signal on the bridge, looks all clear to Capone's men. The trucks come with the liquor. And then all of a sudden, wouldn't you know it, Canadian Mounties, Canadians. We love our Canadian friends to the north. They jump the gun, they start shooting, and they start running. And so the four, Sean Connery, Elliot Ness, they jump on their horses, and Sean Connery says, well, what the heck, you've got to die of something. And then they spur into action and go in uh, on horseback into this blaze of gunfire, which seems like a suicide mission, but they're okay, at least at that point. What the heck, you got to die of something. That sentiment is human finitude. We often wonder why things are the way they are. Why do we age? Why do we get sick? Why do our bodies break down? And the big picture of this as I see it is because that is God's plan. That we are not meant to be here on this earth forever. This is a temporary way station for us to find what will be permanent in the next life. All of these efforts to keep ourselves from dying, all of these efforts that seek to keep ourselves immortal on this earth so that we can live longer and longer and longer and longer while I am for eradication of horrible illnesses, we miss the point. And the point is that we are finite. Sean Connery's character knew it. Well, you got to die something because we will. And we need to look at death as something that we do not fear because God has taken care of that. We need to look at death as something that is as much a part of life as birth. Death in itself is not 
evil. It's not sinful. It is what we do in order to keep from dying when we start taking these measures. And I'm not saying at all, don't be healthy, lay down and die. That's not it at all. We were, life is sacred and life is a gift, but it is also finite. And so, as Sean Connery said, we have to die of something. Our bodies will break down. We will catch diseases. We can experience tragedies that will end our lives. Human finitude means that God's plan for us is to spend some time here and then come home. And the more that we as human beings try to take these weird radical measures of freezing our heads and cloning ourselves and whatever in all those extreme cases, and I'm lifting up extreme cases, not general health and well-being. We have to be good stewards of the life that we've been given. But when we refuse to acknowledge that we are headed that way from the day we are born, it's a happy thought, isn't it? We grow, we are to live, and then we are to go home. And that means that something ends this life and moves us to the next. We are humans and we will break down. Like Isaiah 40 reminds us, like the flowers of the field, we will wither and die. Why is that good news? Because it's God who is with us and who brings us and who doesn't leave us in our broken state. So human finitude, we have to realize that just because we get sick, that is not evil in and of itself. It is a part of our natural order. Well, let's talk about that second, natural law, okay? To quote Guthrie, part of the goodness of creation is that our world is not an unpredictable chaos, but at least relatively ordered, intelligible system of interrelated parts and function in a relatively consistent way we can count on. <coughs> Excuse me. All the advances of modern science and technology in making human life in the world safer, healthier, and more productive are the result of the dependability of the laws of physics, biology, and the like, as God used in creating the structure of the world and its natural laws. So what are we saying here? We are saying that God created the natural order, put it into effect that we are finite. We are part of the creature. God is the creator. And these natural laws cover science and physics and biology and all those things. God has put those into order and gave them some dominion, my opinion. And so both in the ways that we experience natural law, that means too, just like being finite, that we will get sick and things will happen. When you look at weather events, 
Do we say that God caused that to happen just like diseases? Does God get up in the morning and say, cancer, uh, abuse, um, automobile accident, you're going to lose a child today, war is going to start over here? No. No is the answer to that. No is my answer to that. God sets things in order, and we should know by now from watching, if you just take weather events, does there seem to be a targeted system that God is targeting somehow sinful people over other sinful people? No. It is the natural law in effect. It is physics that are happening. Can God intervene? Of course and absolutely. And so that does not take away our need to pray or ask the question of where and why does God intervene in some places but not in other places. It doesn't take away the question of why are there some miraculous healings for different things and not others. But this natural law, I believe, God puts into play but still remains consistent in and around. But I wholeheartedly reject the idea that God is targeting us so we can learn a lesson. That is not the kind of God that I follow, that I think is consistent with who we know God to be. We've all heard those things. We've all said some things that we need to be thinking about when someone has a difficult time or a death or a traumatic experience. I have a friend in, I'm in a doctoral class in Louisville Seminary. One of my cohorts just changed her project because her husband contracted cancer. And from all the things that were not helpful, the way people spoke to her, she said, I need to do something about that and changed her doctoral focus to that idea because she got a lot of those things, which again, it's well-meaning. If you've said any of these things, don't, don't think yourself uh, uh, poor. You are seeking to be in an awkward situation and to help and love them. But things like, well, this is God's will, so that makes this horrible thing okay. Or God needed another angel in heaven, so God took my child, that's what you're telling me? Or all things work together for God's good. Does that justify the horror of what I'm going through or the world or this family? All of that I think is destructive and not helpful. If we look at the model in Job 2, Remember after all the world collapsed on Job, family gone, everything wiped out, covered in boils. In every area, he was afflicted. He was afflicted. And his three friends came. And what was the best, one of the best examples of pastoral care in the Bible, Job 2, they sit with him for seven days and they say nothing. And it is when they start talking that everything goes south because they start with, well, what did you do? How did you make God mad? What did you do to deserve all of this? And Job did nothing. 
But that was great pastoral care. Sometimes we don't have to explain God's position to people who are in difficulty. Just be there and say, we love you and we're here. And know that God loves you and God is here. We don't have to explain away why bad things happen when people are in difficult situations. Because often we wind up trying to fill the void with something that really is not helpful. I don't follow a God who breaks me or my life so I can love that God even more closer. That is a vengeful God that needs to find better ways to communicate, teach, and foster relationship. But I don't believe that's who our God is. Why? Because God sent Christ. If God stepped away from all this, and said, I make the world, it goes, and I'm, I'm going to Bermuda. That is an impersonal God, and we know that's not who God is. We know that God loves us enough that despite our own sinful nature, God wants us to be together and fellowship with us. That is not the character or nature of a God who making, who's making you suffer just to be closer to you. God didn't have to deal with us. God didn't have to send Christ. We deserve to pay for what we had done and continue to. But God sent Christ because God loves us and wants to be in fellowship with us and wants us to love and care for one another. So today, I'm just going to go ahead and call this part one. Our human finitude. Even Christ, my God, where are you? The very next set of phrases in Psalm 22 says, after my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from helping me? Where are you, God? Yet, verse three, you are holy, enthroned on the praises of Israel. In our ancestors, in you, our ancestors trusted and you delivered them. They remembered what God had done for them and how God had brought them home and delivered them from their slavery. So today in part one, I want you to remember that our lives are all set up so that we will only be here for a certain amount of time. And there is hardship in that, and I wish we didn't have to go through difficult things, especially toward the end of our life when our bodies start to break down. Yet you were holy, we need to say to God, enthroned on the praises of Israel, and look what you have done in their lives, in my life in the past. Know that God has been in your life from your first heartbeat. Those who came before you, your ancestors, all the way back to the creation of the world. And God loves us and is with us. And God's character and nature is to love us and want not our harm, but what is our welfare through the risen Christ. So I will stop there.
Know that the natural law has been put in place by God and stuff happens, yes. Can God intervene? Absolutely. God is absolutely more powerful as God is the creator and set it all up. God does not target. God does not harm you so you can be closer to God. God is with you in the midst of that brokenness to love and hold you and is more powerful in that light than the darkness that surrounds you. So let's go with those words and we will continue our exploration next week knowing that it is okay to feel abandoned by God and to scream at God, God can take your anger and your questions and your frustration and your hurt. But know that God is with you even when you can't feel it and you don't know it. Hallelujah. Amen.